Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm very happy to have Arlene Bell as my guest today. Arlene is an attorney in private practice whose work is dedicated to special education law. Her sensitivity to the challenges of advocating for children's rights derive from her past experiences as a teacher of students with learning disabilities for 14 years. Arlene received a Master of Arts degree in special education from California State University in Los Angeles. She also has Life California teaching credentials in early childhood education, elementary education, and special education. She is a graduate of the Southwestern University School of Law, a member of the California State Bar, and is also a member of the Bar of the U.S. Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, and the U.S. District Court, Central District of California. Since 2001, she has successfully represented parents of children with special needs at IEP meetings, mediations, administrative hearings, guardianships, and conservatorships. Welcome, Arlene, and thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your very needed work. It's my pleasure to be here, and I hope I can be of help to parents who have children with special needs. So to begin with, tell me, how did you become interested in special education law, and why do you enjoy it so much? I have always loved children. Uh, even in high school, I was a volunteer in pediatrics and outpatient and inpatient uh, at UCLA Medical Center. I worked in therapeutic play programs in those settings, and people used to ask me then, uh, didn't I feel sad about the children who were in the hospital, and how could I possibly do that kind of work? And my answer to them was always that I felt sad for the children that had medical needs and were not getting care. These children in the hospital were getting the care they needed. And I feel the same way about special education now, that I am able to help parents who, to get services that they need for their children. Otherwise, the children would do without in many cases. So I became a special education teacher later on. And I went into special education specifically because I wanted to learn how the brain works and how children learn. Of course, I got my general education credential first, but then I wanted to do the special education training because I was so interested to help children learn. Being a special education teacher, I then attended many IEP meetings and realized the need for special education attorneys because there were not many at that time. I then decided to go to law school with the specific intent to practice special education law. There were no courses in my law school at that time. Uh, I went to the dean and asked if there, would, could, if there could be a special education course, and the dean told me, no one practices that anymore. Well, I was shocked and dismayed, and I didn't even bother to try to argue with her at that time. Uh, it just seemed like she was just so out of touch with what was in the real world. And certainly the field has grown exponentially with more and more parents needing help uh, to get special education services. I love what I do because I see uh, the results of my work. I am so happy when I can see a child progress as the result of my advocacy and where the child is getting what they need in terms of a placement and in terms of services. 
many clients have told me that they feel so much more positive with my intervention and supports uh, because they feel so much better with my support. Uh, they feel uh, more calm and, and relaxed. Uh, I've often offered my own teaching ideas when I go to an IEP meeting to other teachers, um, and sometimes those suggestions are actually welcomed, and my clients feel very supported that way. I also have learned a lot from my own clients. They have taught me a great deal, and I wish I could give them awards. They stay patient with their child year after year, regardless of the challenges that they have to face every day. I, they never complain, and in my eyes, they are the true heroes. Well, now, of course, there are many more special education attorneys than there were back then, you know, in the day when you were talking about going to school. Um, what do you think makes you unique and also effective as an attorney? Well, I think what makes me unique is certainly in my training and my, in my experience. Uh, many special education attorneys that I know uh, do have general education teaching experience. They were teachers in the past. But I don't know of another special education attorney with all of my education and experience because I have a master's degree in special education and three teaching credentials, one for early childhood child development, and one in elementary education, and the other for learning disabilities. I've also practiced only special education law for 20 years, unlike some attorneys who have practiced in other areas of law and then decide to go into special education. So I feel that I am very unique, and I also am very effective because I have an understanding of the parent's uh, perspective, the school perspective, and the legal perspective. I actually raised a child with learning disabilities uh, who's now an adult, and I've been a teacher sitting at IEP table, and now I'm an attorney, so I say I've sat in all the seats of the IEP team. And so I can see all the different perspectives, and I try to have a balance on when I'm advocating on what is critical to ask for and what may not be as critical to ask for is a balance. So that said, um, what are some of the challenges of being a special education attorney? I, I think that many school district staff sincerely want to provide what a child needs, and yet they're not able to offer it. And many have children of their own, and they know what parents are going through, but they can't help at the IEP meeting. So then it is necessary to go to a higher level called filing for due process to talk with someone with more authority in the district. And I think that's the hardest part is when you know the people at the IEP team really do want to help the child, but they just can't. They don't have the authority. Yeah, that's true. And so, therefore, you have to go to a higher level to, to get what you want, which is really what you want is what, what is the best for the child. So without mentioning any names, can you briefly tell us about one or two success stories that you've been involved in? Oh, certainly. Uh, I have many I'd, I'd love to share with you. Um, one thing I want to say is I have families tell me I'm like part of the family and they don't go to any IEP without me. And I've started with the child perhaps in age seven or eight or, and 
I have one client who used to say, I'm not going to any IEP without Arlene Bell. And when <laughs> one great. psychologist told her, you don't need Arlene at this meeting, she said, what? I'm taking Arlene. I have to have her at every meeting. And sure enough, a problem arose that had I not been there, it would not have been straightened out um, until after the meeting. So uh, <clears throat> my clients really do want me there all the time. Uh, for every IEP meeting, and the result is that I'm very close with the families that I work with. I've been invited to high school graduations because my clients say, uh, you've been through with us to every IEP meeting. You have to come to the graduation. And I have one client who recently graduated from high school who I represented from the time she was seven, and she was accepted to several four-year colleges of her choice. And her parents sent me a video of her high school uh, graduation speech, which I was just had shivers watching her, and I was so proud of her. I've also represented several students from elementary years and attended, uh, the, well, as I said, their high school graduations. And in those cases, I helped the parents over the years obtain evaluations and change schools when necessary and ensure the children received the related services they needed, like speech therapy and occupational therapy. One student needed a residential placement. Another one needed um, a specialized school for a while. So over the years, the needs of the child changes, and I follow the child all along. And it doesn't mean that I'm representing the parent doing the same thing every year as the the needs change, we do what's needed, and we obtain the evaluations that are needed. So what is important for a parent to know when preparing for an IEP meeting, and what if they disagree with the outcome? Let's say they don't have you there with them. What do they need to do to prepare, and then something goes awry, um, and they, they said, you know, gosh, this is, this is just not what we wanted. What happens then? Well, I tell parents it's very important to go to the meeting knowing what you want to ask for. And the first thing is to understand your child's disability, to understand your child's strengths and weaknesses, and then ask for evaluations in particular areas that you're concerned about because you can't just ask for a service, say, like speech therapy or OT. Evaluations have to be done first. And that's the basis of everything in special education. Everything is based on evaluations and based on need. And that's how you find out what the child needs is by doing evaluations. So parents need to go to the IEP prepared to ask for what they believe their child might need and, and asking for evaluations. But it's not a shopping list like saying, I want a little speech therapy and a little OT. Parents often call me and say, what are my rights? Well, your rights are to have your child's needs met. That's, we have to determine what are the child's needs first. And then we talk about what will help that child progress. Uh, when the IEP doesn't go the way the parent wants, uh, they can disagree or agree to different parts of the IEP. Uh, they have to be aware that uh, the child um, will be assessed even as young as two years, nine months, and the parents can write a request for an evaluation at any time, whether it's a child of three years old or a child at, at 15 years old. At any point that child, parents 
suspect a disability, they can ask for an evaluation. And then after the evaluations are completed, the IEP meeting will be convened to discuss the results of the evaluation. The IEP team then finds if the child is eligible under one of the categories for an IEP, and then they write goals and offer placement and services. And if parents disagree with any aspect of the IEP, they may file a request for due process. After filing, there are some informal meetings to try to resolve the issues, and parents may be entitled to have the school district pay their attorney's fees for mediations and if they win at a due process hearing. I strongly suggest that parents take attorneys with them to their IEP meetings. I've also had people uh, suggest, and I have been in IP meetings myself, um, they always try and encourage the parent, I know, to sign it. Okay, we're here, we're done, the meeting's over, sign it. We can't implement it unless you sign it is usually the line that they give. And um, I uh, was uh, advised and have done this myself, I never sign it at the meeting. I always take it with me. I always read it all the way through, so then I have the opportunity to say, I don't like this, I don't like that, this isn't what we said, that's not right, change it, and then I'll sign it. What do you think about that? Okay, well, I, I agree not to sign the IEP at the meeting, because generally you haven't had a chance to review the whole thing, and there's right. always small details that are missed or, or that weren't discussed, and so you want to make sure you agree with whatever is on there and especially the notes that were taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's, and that also gives parents an opportunity if they don't know how to handle a particular issue or a disagreement to call somebody like you and say, you know what, I've got a problem, I've got a situation, you know, I need help. So absolutely, that, they can call someone yeah. to review it with them, and go over it. Mm-hmm. What this is, they may not know what a lot of things mean. There's right. language right. in there like FAPE and IEP and OT and BCBA and FBA. <laughs> Parents don't mm-hmm. even know what half the language is because we use a lot of acronyms. But mm-hmm. parents do not have to sign the IEP at the meeting. They don't have to sign that document at the meeting. They do have to sign that they attended. There's usually an attendance page, and they need mm-hmm. to document that the parent attended. But then the parent has the right to take it home and review it and should take it home and review it. And if they have a lawyer or advocate, they should review it with that professional. Uh, it's true that the district does not implement anything that's new on that IEP until they have consent from the parent to do it. Uh, You don't have to consent to the whole IEP. You can consent to parts and not agree to parts. You can also agree to implement only and say that this is not FAPE. So, for instance, if the district offers maybe one 30-minute session of speech therapy, and this is just an example, uh, but you want two 30-minute sessions of speech therapy per week. You can agree to implement only the, what they did offer, so then they can still do what they've offered you for your child and then say, for FAPE, I think he needs two t- sessions a week of speech therapy, and that requires filing for due process or going to an informal dispute resolution. But, and for those who don't know, FAPE, F-A-P-E, stands for free and appropriate public education. 
which is, exactly. like you say, one of the many acronyms that right. are constantly thrown at you throughout this whole process. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, what about parents who are divorced? How do you handle that situation versus, say, those who are just beginning their journey and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, just uh, their, their child is, you know, four, five, six years old and, and, and they're out, you know, they're totally unaware and, and, and completely overwhelmed and no idea <laughs> what, what's happening, you know. Well, are you asking about how the process uh, begins with a, a young child or for a first IEP, or are you asking specifically how that would vary with parents who are divorced? Well, well, both. Yeah, you know, let's say let's say a, a parents of a newly diagnosed child come to you. You know, um, how you know those who are just beginning their journey versus you know parents who may have you know been through quite a quite a bit and quite a number of years. They're divorced now. They're trying to. You know, now they're trying to handle their their child's education and their child's needs, but from you know opposite sides of the table, so to speak. Right. Uh, well, parents uh, should trust their instincts. If they feel something is wrong, something's not right, they just know that their child is different from other children. They may notice difficulties with the child's speech, language, or communication. They may observe that their child has some extreme behavioral issues. They should seek the opinions of professionals and obtain evaluations. They can go to their pediatrician. They can consult a speech therapist. They can go to the school district. In California, we have regional centers where they can take young children under three to be assessed. Parents should consult with the teachers to see if the teacher thinks there's a problem with the child and start seeking intervention as early as possible. One of the most critical periods of growth and the development of a child occurs during the first five years of life. Uh, I have many clients who call me when their child is in middle school after many years of being told that their child was making progress and suddenly the parents realize the child is very far behind. Uh, so it's very important to get intervention no matter when you recognize the child has difficulties. And there is a new uh, state law that's uh, going to uh, be proposed through the state senate. It's called SB 237 in California. This will be a law that's going to require screening of all children for dyslexia who are in grades kindergarten to two. Great. That's grade two, kindergarten through grade two. I'm very excited by this bill, and I really hope it will pass uh, because so many people still tell me that people at school districts are telling them that their child who's five or six is too young to be diagnosed with a learning disability or with dyslexia. And we know that that's not true. We've been able, Kids that young can now be diagnosed, and maybe it's because of the tools or the training of psychologists but the earlier kids are diagnosed with dyslexia or learning disabilities, the better it is for them because if they're not diagnosed and aren't given intervention, it leads to academic failure and behavior and emotional problems. So keep our fingers crossed that SB 237 will pass. Watch out for it in the news. Uh, regarding the parents who are divorced, 
the first thing I ask parents is who has educational decision-making rights. And that's determined by the court order or marital settlement agreement. And if they have equal rights, they have to both be involved in all decisions from the very beginning. So I've had a client call me and say that his wife wanted the child assessed for special education, but the father did not agree that he doesn't think the child has any special needs, and he was opposed to having the child assessed. Uh, so this is um, a, cr- a critical situation. Uh, I always try to encourage the parents to think about the child and try think about the child's best interest. What's going to help your child? But sometimes um, that's left better to the realm of the family law attorneys, and I often refer people back to their family law attorneys to work out who will have the final decision-making power if there's a dis- disagreement, because if every small step matters, you know, there's an assessment, and then what the, if the IEP team says the child is eligible for one of the categories, suppose it's uh, autism, and then one parent doesn't agree that my child does not have autism, then, then what do you do? And again, if both parents have equal rights, they have to agree along each way. So that can be very problematic and really dis- destru- destructive and disastrous for the child. Then when is it time for a parent to contact you? And as I'm sure many would like to know, do you give free initial consultations? Oh, absolutely. I give free consultations, and people just have to call me if I can't talk to them right away. I will schedule a time to talk with them further. Uh, They can also contact me on my um, website with an intake form. I'm always happy to talk with people. People sometimes call me for other people. A grandma might call and say, you know, I have these concerns, and I want to go back to my kids and, and tell them what they can do to, to get some help. Uh, parents should contact me anytime along the way, but especially at the very beginning. It's really best if I get involved from the beginning. Then I go to the IEP, and I know who the players are at the IEP. I know who we're working with. I hear and see what they are all about at the IEP meeting. So that is the best for me to be involved from the very beginning. But if I'm not, that's okay, too, because I can talk with parents. I talk at length with them. I review records, and we go from there and talk about what can possibly be done. And with my background in special education, I have a good sense of a lot of the needs of of the children that that I work with. If I'm not familiar with something, uh, I look it up and do a lot of research. I have many clients who call me with children who have all sorts of unusual um, syndromes, and I'll look it up myself, and I'll ask the parent to send me information about that syndrome and any doctor reports that uh, make recommendations about what the child will need in school because of that syndrome. So it's very important to really consider everything and Because, like I said, I've always been fascinated in special education and how children learn. I find it very fascinating, and I'll spend hours doing research just because I want to know more about the child and what what their needs are because of their medical diagnoses. So what is your contact information, and how can parents reach you if they have questions, if they need help, and they want to know more? 
Uh, sure. I can always be reached by phone. My office number is 310-829-2029. I also have a website. It's arlenebell.com, spelled A-R-L-E-N-E-B-E-L-L. Oh, it's arlenebell.com. And on the website, there is an intake form, so they can fill it out, and it, it will be emailed to me. Well, thank you so much, Arlene, for your time and for giving us some terrific information today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you, and I hope this is of help to some people. I also want to thank our listeners for spending part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.